Good morning. Uh, today we are not in Genesis. We're going to skip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks, Leslie. As we begin this morning, as she said, a new Advent series. I'm glad to be with you. I love this time of year. I love gathering with the Lord's people this time of year. I love thinking about Christmas in ways more than just gifts and giving, but the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. This is the season for us to do that, to focus on that, to be expectantly waiting that, to think about that. I pray that you're able to do that in your families this Christmas season as we do it as a church family together uh, as we start. This morning, this new series that's going to take us, this new Advent series, right up to Christmas. We're calling the series The Songs of Christmas. Who had Christmas music playing before Thanksgiving? Anybody? Yeah, multiple people here. Okay, lots of you. Yeah, lots of us had it playing. Many of us love Christmas music. And there are special songs that draw us back 
even, when we listen to that Christmas music, to childhood times, memories of family time together, and Christmas trees, and maybe a warm house and good food together. For me, it's probably the voices of um, Bing Crosby and Burl Ives singing on the cassette tapes, if you remember what those were. Cassette tapes my mom would put in and play as a child at Christmas time. Music, songs, they have the power to draw us in, don't they? To gather us in, to, to, to help us remind thing, remember, remember things and experiences, to, to bring us into a story, to capture our hearts and our affections. Nothing like music does that. And it's paired with words and truth. And I think God created music to do that, to draw us in in a way that nothing else does. Well, this Advent season, we're going to enter into some songs in the book of Luke. And not all of them are songs per se, um, although a couple are, as we're going to see in Mary's song next week. But each week in this series, I want us to enter in, as we're calling these songs, into the story and the true life and the power and the existence of Jesus Christ and His birth. And as we've been looking at the days of creation in our Genesis Foundation series, we now come to the story of the one who created all things and the one for whom they were created. Colossians 1.16 says this, For in Him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things on, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Jesus Christ, the writer of Colossians, Paul says, made everything. And the book of Hebrews says He sustains all things, even our life of breath. And a tree is a tree. And water is water. Yes, it has properties and things we look at, but He's sustaining and keeping it as it is and as it's been made to be. And now yet we enter in to the story of the Creator being born on earth. Entering into His creation as a baby. The creation that He even upholds as sovereign Creator. And this really, this is the reason we gather each week. This is why you come on a Sunday. It's not so much for me to stand up here and give you five tips on how to have a better marriage or be a better parent or even just to relate doctrinal truths to you, as important as those are. But we gather each week to encounter the living God. That's what we do. And revisit the ongoing rest of the seventh day of creation we've been talking about that's going on forever as God has rested. We come to enter into that together and enter into the song of Jesus, the gospel story each week when we gather. So this morning, we look at this interaction between the angel Gabriel with Mary, the mother of Jesus. As Gabriel surprises her, doesn't he, with some unlikely news. Unlikely news that she's going to carry in her womb the messianic savior of humanity. Think about that. And each point this morning, we're going to look at three different sections of this interaction. We're going to look at a piece of the good news by Gabriel. And then I want to see Mary's response. Because sometimes we don't look at that close enough. The response we're going to see, the model of faith in a teenage girl. And looking at Mary this morning, we'll see a model of faith for us. So let's start. Let's, oh, if you've got your outlines, have them open. If you've got your text, keep it open to Luke there. 
As we begin the, this interaction with the graceful greeting and the discerning heart of grace. This graceful greeting for this angel and then Mary's response, we're going to look at the heart of grace, a discerning heart. Now, to understand what's taking place here, we have to understand that we are jumping into the middle of a story here, a story we're actually going to go backwards and look at in a couple of weeks in Luke 1. This same angel Gabriel uh, that's showing up here to Mary has already appeared to a man six months earlier named Zechariah. He was a priest in the temple who was married to Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And he prophesied to Zechariah that she would give birth, even though she was barren, Elizabeth, she would give birth to the prophet John the Baptist who would pave the way for the Savior. Hence, in verse 1 of our passage, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Well, what a contrast now. As you think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, this cosmopolitan life they lived in the big city of Jerusalem, Zechariah and Elizabeth, as he was a priest in the temple. The contrast now in this same angel now comes to the most unlikely places and the most unlikely person, Mary. He comes to this small, out-of-the-way town, Nazareth, in this, in this region of Galilee, which would have been about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Nazareth was, was a, it was a non-place, basically. It was really insignificant. I mean, think of the most out-of-the-way place you've ever been to in Oregon. And then take maybe a step or two back or smaller from that. Nathaniel, the disciple, and you remember when he heard that Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth, he said this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is the setting. This is where Gabriel goes. He comes to a humble village, to a humble girl. Now, something important for us to understand, and, and I, I want to, especially if there's some teenagers in here today, listen to this. When Gabriel comes to Mary, she is probably no more than a young teenager. At the young end, possibly 12. At the old end, probably 15, potentially. At different time, different expectations, different customs, but at that time, she was engaged to a man named Joseph who was the line of, the king, uh, uh, of king David. So the first person, the very first one who will hear the name Jesus, the first one who will receive the gospel in the form that we have today, the first one who will hear about the Lord, uh, the snake crusher, remember from Genesis 3.15, descending into his creation, is an unwed teenager who lives in a small, out-of-the-way village who would probably in her entire lifetime never travel more than a few miles from that village, except for with this news. Here's what Martin Luther said about God and his work. He might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas's daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold and broidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting. But God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. Think about that. He could have, but isn't that the way of God? He tends to work through the humble. He tends to work through the unexpected. He tends to work through the lowly, not the grand and glorious and big. He goes to a teenage girl who's engaged. And the way she receives the news, if we think of her as a 15, 13, 14-year-old girl, it's astounding. 
And I would say if you haven't received the news in the same way she does, I'm not sure you can actually call yourself as one who's truly received it. It's that important as we look at her today. So let's take a look. The graceful greeting in the heart of grace that we're looking at. The angel greets her in verse 28. He says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And they're words of grace, words of grace to an unlikely recipient. <clears throat> God is showing favor, uh, love, his smile to this very young, unaccomplished, unknown girl. And her humble life and humility we see in her make her a model, model recipient of God's grace and grace for us. It also means that as insignificant and unnoticed as you may feel in your life, the God of this world sees you. If he saw a girl like Mary, as insignificant as you may feel, as unnoticed and passed over as you may feel, the God of this world sees you. He knows you. No life is too small for God to see and for God to use and redeem and work through if he's working in the life of Mary. And Gabriel assures this humble girl, the Lord is with you. It means he, he, he's by your side. And well, as we know, she's about to find out, he will literally be with her, where? In her womb. He chooses her to birth God in flesh. Solely according to his grace, solely according to his desires, he comes to this humble girl. And she's blessed. And she even says it in her song we'll see next week, every generation will call me blessed. I mean, think about it. Jesus' human face would most resemble Mary's. That God would be with her and using her to bring the Savior into the world. And she's the only one he'll look like. Now, some have made too much of Mary's blessedness. Some have, but we don't want to make too little of it because she's blessed. She's absolutely blessed. So what do you think that greeting was like for her? As you think about that moment, what do you think that greeting was like for Mary when this angel shows up? Thinks, oh, cool, an angel. Wow. I was hoping to see an angel someday. I've heard about him. No. What does it, it say? She's greatly troubled, verse 29 says. She's shocked, as any normal person would be. She's shocked. Am I going crazy? Am I seeing things, maybe? What is going on here? As any one of you would respond. Angels like our own day did not go around just appearing here and there all the time, as you might think, maybe. No, that wasn't the case. Remember, this is a young girl, and she doesn't run screaming from the room. The text says she tried to discern what he meant in his greeting. The ESV says discern. If you have an NIV, it might say she wondered at his greeting. But what the Greek term means is really she was, she was taking, like, taking an audit, it really means, like an accounting audit. She was measuring what was said. She was pondering in her heart. She was thinking over carefully Gabriel's greetings. She takes the words to heart and mulls them over. And she shows a heart that doesn't quickly dismiss what it, she doesn't understand 
She doesn't just flat out dismiss it. But she's also not just jumping right in either. But what she shows is a heart that is meditating upon, like auditing, thinking over God's word spoken by this angel. She's a great model for us in our age of distraction and hurry. Because to come to Jesus and to take him into your life is a big decision. It's an important decision to be discerned, to be audited, to be thought through, not taken lightly, but taken seriously. Maybe someone brought you here today. Maybe you're in town for the holidays. Don't miss what we are going to see in the process of this young girl coming to faith. Maybe this is the moment for you to discern, to ponder, to audit, to think over, to take to heart what Christmas is all about. And maybe be greatly troubled by it yourself as she was. She responds that way to this greeting. Well, let's take a look. He goes on, the angel Gabriel moves on in greater details. Let's look at the humble good news, we're calling it, of God on earth and the reflecting heart that questioned. We get here to the meat of Gabriel's message and the humble good news of God on earth and Mary's reflecting heart that questions how. How? How is this going to happen? Well, the angel, after calming her down in verse 30 there, explains some details to Mary that would have challenged her to the core. Take a look with me at verse 31 if you have your Bible open. And he said to her, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And right here in this moment, some of the first words of Gabriel, Mary would have begun to understand this is truly extraordinary. In any society, in any culture, in any place of almost any time, it's always the right of the parents to name their child, isn't it? You've had a process maybe when you did, parents go back and forth, don't they? They make lists, they cross off names until we get to the perfect name we can all agree on. Does that happen very often? Sometimes it does, not always. They go back and forth. It's, it's the right of the parent to name their child. Not here. Not in this moment. Gabriel tells her, you're going to conceive a boy and you will call his name Jesus, which means salvation. But Gabriel, I mean, I, I've always wanted to call my firstborn Jehoshaphat. I mean, come on. What? Jesus? It's as if Gabriel were saying When this baby comes into your life, you don't get to say. You take your hands off of your plans, and he gets to name you. When Jesus comes into your life, it is by taking your hands off of your life and surrendering it to him. It's when we truly acknowledge, I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of saving, in need of something outside of myself. She doesn't fight back, but she humbly begins to accept God's plan. Mary, he'll be great. 
He'll be the son of the Most High. And he'll be given the throne of his King David. And just so you're sure, he repeats this. Look at verse 33. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there'll be no end. This baby you're going to have, Mary, his kingdom will never end. Wait, so God will have a son. And he'll live forever on David's throne. And she thinks, I'm going to be the one to give birth to him? And he goes on in verse 35 to tell her, this will be the holy son of God. Who is holy but God? This will be the holy son of God. And here we have right up front the heart of Christmas. We have the heart of the gospel that God himself becomes vulnerable by becoming a human being. God most high is how he's referenced, will become a child. And this young girl's womb will carry him. That's what's unique. That is what is unique about Christianity. Over and against or compared to all the religions of the world, God becomes vulnerable to love us. That's what's unique. As he becomes a baby, no other religion of the world has this, that God himself would become vulnerable to love us. And really, don't you have to become vulnerable with somebody to love them? You've got to open up. You've got to get close to them. You've got to open yourself for the possibility of hurt. I love how C.S. Lewis described this. We've used this quote once before, but it's worth it to mention again. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Possibly. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, it'll change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And that is what God does. That is what is unique about Jesus' birth. He places the salvation of the world into the hands of a teenage girl in the form of a baby that she will have to feed and protect and keep alive. Think about that. That's vulnerability. And in that body... What does he do? He becomes vulnerable, Jesus. He gets close enough to be harmed by us. And guess what? That's exactly what we did. God becomes vulnerable as a human to die on the cross for you. That's the heart of Christmas. And when you see that vulnerability and you take it into your heart, guess what? It'll allow you to be vulnerable too. It allow you to risk in ways that you hadn't because you've got resources you never thought you would have because your God became vulnerable for you. Allow you to be vulnerable when others wrong you, when you feel slighted, when you feel hurt by others who love you. Rather than locked up inside the coffin or casket of your own self-making, when you see the heart of God become vulnerable, 
in his son for the life of the world, your heart may begin to become vulnerable too to God. Even as Mary would become vulnerable by becoming a pregnant virgin. Think about that. Giving birth out of wedlock to Messiah, God in flesh. So how does she respond to these words? The words, the humble good news of God on earth, she responds with a reflecting heart that questioned. She questions, but with a hope that it's possible. That it's possible. She doesn't say, this can't be, no way. Don't believe in the supernatural stuff. Just no way, that could never happen. What does she do? She lets go of her life and she says, okay, well, how will this happen? How will this happen? She's a great model again for us. For any of us as we wrestle with the claims of God. And we think, I mean, look at this. Think for a second. Ancient people weren't ignorant, superstitious, gullible people. It probably had IQs equal to ours, some surpassing us. We think, oh, yeah, they, they would believe anything back then. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we're kind of past that. We understand, you know, we don't believe in superstitious spirits. That's our day and age. But that's just not, not the case. It would have been extremely difficult for Mary to believe in a virgin birth, as much as us. That God would become flesh, especially as a Jew. That God would become flesh? And so what does she do? She questions. And she looks for more answers. What's happening here? I really think she's gradually coming to faith. Gradually coming to faith. You know, there's two kinds of doubts in the world. There's two kinds of of doubts. And the Bible's really nuanced here. There's one doubt that looks like this, which is more our spirit of our age. You know what? I just have an open mind. I have an open mind about everything. I just keep an open mind. I doubt all things. But guess what? It's almost a virtue to say, I'm never going to close it on anything. That's the spirit of our age. I doubt everything. I have an open mind, you know? But it never closes in on something, anything. That's one. But then there's another way that Mary, like Mary, who's doubting, questioning, that says, how will this be? Tell me more. And they're totally different. And on one, the the Bible says it's blessed. The other, Zechariah, we're going to look at in a couple weeks. He's got the other kind of doubt. But Mary takes her hands back and says, okay, I'm struggling with this. How will this be? Tell me more. It's interesting. It's fascinating. In the church, we have to be okay with people asking hard questions. Maybe you grew up in a youth group where you asked a question. They said, ah, don't ask questions. Just have more faith. No, 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 no. We can't do that. Mary asks questions. The angel Gabriel is okay with the questions. We should never respond with, don't doubt, just have more faith. We should say, okay, let's look at how together. Let's look at how together. So Gabriel does that with Mary because she's, she's struggling. She's wrestling with this. How can this be? A virgin birth? God the Son? The Son of God? So Gabriel does that, and he tells her more. Here's what he tells her. Section 3 today. He gives her a divine explanation of sovereign power, and then we'll see her response of risk-taking faith. Take a look at verse 35 with me. And the angel answered her, 
after she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? He answered her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary, the Holy Spirit will do this. Nothing is impossible for our God. And once you actually, as a person, come to admit even the existence of God, you can begin to deny what seems impossible. It is possible if there is a God. And Mary, he says, God will do this. The Spirit will come upon you. God has sovereign power over creation and wombs we see here. If he can create the world out of nothing, Mary, can he not place the Son of God in your womb? Cannot the Messiah be God in flesh, Mary, if he can create all things? The Holy Spirit, he says, will come upon her. It's like he will overshadow her, kind of like he hovered over the waters of creation. Do you remember that? In our foundation series, he'll come upon her. doesn't mean that God necessarily impregnated her. We don't want to think that. But that God is Jesus, uh, is quoted in Hebrews, he prepared a body for Jesus. Hebrews 10.5, in quoting Jesus, says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And so Jesus becomes the perfect Savior, God with a body, a body that the Spirit prepared for Him and got ready for Him. God in a body. God on the one hand so that He could give us the righteousness we need and a human so that He could die for human sin. Both. Mary, nothing is impossible for God. He even gives her more assurance. Did you catch it there in the second half of our story? We read it. We're not going to go into it. But he, he says, go to your cousin Elizabeth. Go visit her. Go check out what's happened there. Go see Zechariah. Go see that God opened the womb of your cousin Elizabeth who was barren. Go check out if I can do this. And she does go. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Or next week, actually. So how does she respond then? He gives her this, this, this here's how. God is all-powerful. The Holy Spirit will do this. Can't he do this, Mary? Can't he come upon you? He's already done it with Elizabeth. How does she respond? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There was a lot of risk for Mary. There was a lot of risk here from a teenage girl now, remember? A young teenage girl. A lot of risk for her. And she ends up responding in faith. Remember, she lives in a very traditional, you might say, society where an out-of-wedlock pregnant mother would face, would face losing her engagement to Joseph for this and the stigma of her entire community for saying, okay, let's move forward by birthing as a virgin, an out-of-wedlock baby. One commentator said, you know what they said? He said, she sounds a lot like 
Isaiah here. Remember what he said when he met God? Here I am. Send me. Remember Esther. Sounds a lot like Esther. If I perish, I perish. Or Job. When Job said, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Now Mary, she doesn't have it all figured out. She does not have it all figured out. It's not that she says, great, I get it now. Of course, this all makes sense. I'm so excited to be part of this grand plan. No. She says, it doesn't all make sense to me. But in faith, I am yours, God. Your words be done to me. She shows the faith of a true disciple who moves forward in faith even without knowing all the outcomes. And that's what it means to live by faith. You move forward trusting the promises. You move forward trusting the word without knowing what the outcome will truly be here in the here and now. Sometimes we think, well, I'll commit to whatever it is, whether it's faith in Christ or a new job or whatever, a new opinion on something. I'll commit when I have every piece in place and every answer I want. And sometimes we need to just move forward in humble faith with God even while we keep asking good, hard questions. Because that's what Mary does. That's what we see in Mary. She moves forward believing that God's plan is better than whatever her own could be, even if she doesn't quite understand it. Believing that God's plan is better for you, better for me. Okay, I'll move forward. Let it be to me, your servant, as your words say. But don't her words sound like somebody else's too? Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was about to follow through with his most difficult act of obedience. He was going to face rejection, much greater than Mary would face for being a pregnant virgin. He was going to walk forward with a plan he had never walked forward before in his humanity or experience before. He was going to entrust himself into God's hands in a way he never had before. He was in that garden. And he was about to experience now in that body that had grown from a baby to a man the punishment we deserved. To experience the alienation from God we deserved. And he had true questions. How can this be? How can this be? Or even, can there be another way? And how did he respond? It sounds a lot like Mary's words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. There's his how. But then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He responded in faith. And that's what we have at the table today. That's what we get to see today. That's what the table shows us. It shows us, Jesus, your life for mine. And that's what Mary said. Okay, I'll take my hands off. I don't quite understand it. I don't know quite where you're taking me. But I am your servant, your words, your will be done to me. And that is what Jesus said as he went to the cross. Okay, Lord, is there another way? Okay, your will, not mine. And because of that, the baby who was born died in the body of a man 
for sinners like you and me. That's the culmination of Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. That's what we wait for at Advent. Not only his first coming as it's come, but his second as well, when he will come back in a body again. Do you know that? In a body again to take you and I home. As our worship team comes up and prepares to get us ready for this time, I want us, as we normally do on these weeks, especially appropriate on an Advent Sunday, to give it, a, give it an audit. Think it over in your brain, in your mind, in your heart as Mary did. Mull over what the Christ child means and what he did and what he's done for us. Ponder it in your heart too. And as you ponder, if you're one who responds with the heart of faith, this table today is for you. We take it to enter into that story again. Enter into what Jesus has done. As we do it together by faith, it's a blessing to us today as we remember What happened in that body as he grew? But if you find yourself today and you're not quite sure, I encourage you, let this pass. This is a meal that God says is for his family, and if in good conscience, if you can't say I'm part of that family, let it pass, and I would encourage you to do so. No one's going to be checking to see who takes it and who doesn't. It's not about that. Spend that time maybe in a little more contemplation and prayer with God. Let's take a moment as we get ready as our servers come forward as well.